Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all. Like Joanna said, my name's Elliot, and today we're going to be talking about a unique opportunity that we as followers of Jesus have. And unique opportunities, they're they're kind of interesting because they don't necessarily come around every day. Some of them are unique because there's only a certain window of time in which you can act on these. Some are unique because they're just unlike anything else in the opportunity they provide or something else attached to it. And they're usually the opportunities that when you pass on um, participating or acting, you usually look back on it and there's some kind of regret or maybe they're the opportunities that when you do actually take action, you look back on your life and you say, I'm really glad that I acted in that area. For me, some of the opportunities um, that I think were really unique for me and just my life, one was the opportunity when I graduated from college to move out here to California. I went to college in Oklahoma, and when I graduated, I knew, okay, I don't have a lot of responsibilities. I'm pretty flexible. If I'm going to do something crazy, take a big risk, this is one of the chances I have. So with a promise of a bed in a garage for one week, that's all I had. They said, you can stay in our garage for one week on the bed, and $3,000 in the bank, I loaded up my car, and I moved cross-country. And I realized there's probably not going to be chances for me to do that at other times in life. So that was a kind of a unique window that I had. Another um, unique opportunity for me was actually when I met my wife. Um, when I met her for the first time, uh, the, the thought that went through my head was, if she's single, she's not going to be single for long, and so I need to act. And if you know our story at all, I acted a little too quickly in that situation. I kind of scared her off for a while. Um, but I don't regret taking that opportunity and pursuing her and trying to make that relationship work. I'm, I'm glad that I, that I took that risk, even though I was maybe a little too intense right off the bat. Um, another unique opportunity for me, one right now that I'm experiencing this portion of my life, is actually um, we're due with our second child. My wife is due with our second child in um, just about 10 days. Um, which is really exciting. But right now, we have a 20-month-old at home. And I have the opportunity to get on the floor with my little girl and do a bunch of stuff that just makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. And really, I can just get down on the floor and be an idiot with my little girl, and she thinks it's hilarious. You know, everybody else is going to look at us and say, what is wrong with this guy? But I'm not going to have this opportunity forever. I'm not going to have her in this position where she's just crawling around, and so I, I get a chance to do this. And so those are some of the unique opportunities for me. I, I don't know what they all all for you. I don't know if for you maybe it's, um, maybe it's a work chance that you have to maybe advance in your position or or maybe invest in a company or start a company. Maybe it's an opportunity to get some training that'll help you be better equipped for the road of life ahead. Maybe it's a chance to go on a trip. I don't know what these opportunities are for you, but I know that as followers of Jesus, we actually share one, and that's the opportunity to tell other people who Jesus is. And what makes that opportunity truly unique is not the frequency at which it might occur, but the impact that it can have. That's what makes it unlike any other opportunity. See, when we tell people who Jesus is, what we're doing is we're sharing with them a message that can impact their entire eternity. So that is what makes that opportunity truly unique. And we're actually surrounded by opportunities to do this. This is what it says in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. It says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him 
and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So what this is saying is what God has done is he has placed people in certain times in history, in specific nations, in cities, in neighborhoods, even all the way down to the detail of placing them in families, all so that, for this reason, so that they could find him, so that they can learn about who he is and what he's done for them and how they can enter into a relationship with him. That's why he's done this. And actually, not only has he done this and placed people all throughout the world and all throughout human history, but with us, he's done the same thing. He has placed us in a certain nation, in cities, in neighborhoods, in families, so that we could be the ones to help other people come to find who Jesus is. So we could be the ones who act on this unique opportunity and carry this message and help people enter into a relationship with God. That's what God has done with each of us. He has strategically placed us in order to act on this opportunity. I actually want to show you guys a map real quick. Um, It turns out, I'll give you guys some numbers to kind of explain this map. It turns out that you guys, the people who attend Seabreeze, 85% of the people who attend Seabreeze live within five miles of our campus. So if you put a dot on this property and drew a circle, that's what's on the map, 85% of us live within this. Within that circle, that five-mile radius, within that, there's over 400,000 people. There's actually 402,900 people, I believe, living inside of that circle. A ton of people. There's also 22 churches that are inside of that circle. So if you do the math, what you'll find is if, if we reached everyone, if we went and we told everybody about Jesus, everybody entered into a relationship with him, they found God, what that would mean is each church would have over 18,000 people as a part of their church. Now, Seabreeze, we're about 1,000. We're a pretty good-sized church. There's other churches that are very similar size to us. There's some that are larger, some that are a little bit smaller, but none of the churches come close to 18,000. What that means is we are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of opportunities We're not just surrounded. We have been strategically placed. The dots on this map, those are actually where the members of Seabreeze live. Placed in neighborhoods, specific locations where they can be the ones who take this message. They act on this opportunity they have to share something that could impact somebody's entire eternity. God's given us this unique opportunity. Actually, in the New Testament, it turns out that uh, to the Apostle Paul, actually taking action in this area and telling people about Jesus, this was so important to him that he, he requested of others that they would pray for him, that he would be able to, to have this opportunity and actually to act on it. There's, there's two times he requests this. One is in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. This is what it says. He says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And then again, he makes a very similar request in Colossians 4. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now in these two requests, what Paul does is he actually, he, he points some stuff out and there's a lot we can learn from this. When it comes to actually taking action based on the opportunities that we've been given, there's a lot we can learn from Paul when it comes to how we should move forward. So the first thing that we should do based on what Paul says here is we need to pray for God's perspective. 
When it comes to actually acting on the opportunities we've been given, realizing this is an opportunity that's truly unique, we need to ask for God's perspective. We need to view the, the people around us and the situation that we're in the way that God does. Notice how in both of these passages, he ends it with the same three words, the same statement. He says, as I should. So what he's referring to there is when he goes and he tells people about Jesus, when he proclaims the good news, what he, he calls here the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of Christ, when he clearly tells them who Jesus is, this is not an optional activity for him. This is something that he's, he's equating with this with an obligation. He's saying, I have the duty. This is something I am supposed to do. Now, why for Paul is this an obligation for him? Why is it not an optional activity? Well, the reason I think is two parts. First of all, he understood the command that God had given. He understood that, that Jesus, when Jesus left, he said, you guys need to go and you need to tell other people. But more than just the command, he understood why the command had been given. See, for us, a lot of times, we know what the command is. I mean, if you polled people who follow Jesus, the majority, I would say, would be clear on the fact that they're supposed to go and tell other people who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus actually says. He says this in Matthew 28. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, Jesus' words to us as his followers is, now you guys that you've come to follow me, you guys go and make disciples. The word disciple was a, a word that used, was used to describe the early followers of Jesus. So it's just saying, hey, go tell people who I am and tell them what I've done and tell them how to enter into a relationship with me so that they can come and follow me too. It's a command that, that applies to all of this. Paul understood this is something that he was commanded to do. But just because we're commanded to do something, does that mean that we're going to do it? I mean, just because we know this is what we are to do, does that mean that we always do that? I think a lot of times if we don't know the reason behind the command, we really struggle with taking action. It's kind of like my little girl right now, my daughter Olivia, when it comes to eating food, I don't know if she thinks we'll never feed her again and this is the only chance she has to eat, but whenever we give her food, she gives, gets as much as she can and she just crams it in her mouth as fast as she can. And then she's got these like bulging cheeks and her eyes start to water and she's looking at you like, what am I supposed to do? And her mom and I are like, okay, you know, small bites, chew, and then swallow. We're trying to teach her this right now. But she doesn't understand the reason we're doing this is so she doesn't choke. She doesn't know why we're telling her this. So if, if you want to see an example of this, actually, right after the service, we, we'll give her some donut holes. She'll go out there. And it's not just because they're donut holes. She does this with a lot. Raisins, cheese, you name it, she does this. But she'll take those donut holes, and she will just cram them as fast as she can into her mouth. I mean, you would think that is all she's going to eat. She doesn't understand why we tell her to take small bites and why we tell her to breathe and wait and swallow. She doesn't understand the risk of choking. I actually think it's very similar with us. I don't, I don't think that we fully understand why God has told us to go and make disciples. This is why. This is what he says in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what this is saying is that while we're alive, what we're experiencing is God's patience. The word patience indicates that something's going to change. There's something that's going to happen that's going to be different than our experience right now, and God is patient. God is waiting for that to happen. 
And the reason that God is being patient is what it says next. It's because of a desire that God has. It says that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. The Greek word here for perish is a word that describes a hopeless destiny of eternal death. It's not just a one-time event of suffering, but it's suffering that goes on for all of eternity. It's something that I don't think that we can even fully grasp how terrible it is. Another word that the Bible uses to describe this, a similar word to the word perish, is the word hell. It's a word that we really don't like. People don't like talking about. A lot of people increasingly in our culture are saying, no, you know, hell doesn't even exist. It's just an idea, some fantasy somebody came up with to try to keep children in check and help them obey their parents. That's the only reason that hell was good. But really, what God says is he says, no, hell is a real place. And if people don't repent, if they don't turn to me, that's where they're going to experience eternity. If they don't realize what they're doing and enter back into a relationship through Jesus Christ, that's their destiny. And God's desire is that no one experience that. He doesn't want anybody to go there. Actually, this is a theme that runs through the Bible. A few other verses on this. Another time this comes up in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23 Ezekiel's writing and God is speaking. What God says is he says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? See, even the people that we think are the worst people on earth, the wicked, the people that are just terrible, it says God takes no pleasure. He, he gets no joy. He does not delight in them dying, in them exiting this earth without coming to know him. That's not what he wants. Another verse just A few verses later in the same passage, he says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. See, what God is doing is God is being patient. Instead of just responding to what we've done and the mess that we've made, he's being patient. He's delaying the consequences so that people can enter into a relationship with him, so that people can turn and repent. That's the reality of what's going on all around us. We're experiencing God's patience because he doesn't want anybody to experience this eternity without him. I mean, imagine it like this. It's kind of like what God is doing. Imagine you're going to take a bus somewhere, and your bus leaves at 9 a.m. That's when the bus is going to depart the station. But you're running late, and so you can't get there on time. And the bus driver knows not everybody's on the bus. Every minute, the bus driver keeps the bus in the station, and delays departure. That's a moment of patience by the bus driver so that more people can get on the bus. That is actually what God is doing. Every day of life that people have, that's actually a day of patience that God has given them because he doesn't want them to experience this. So he's giving them patience. And then we're the ones that have been strategically placed to go and share this message so that they could enter into a relationship with him. We've got to have that perspective. If we don't know why the command has been given, chances are we won't have this urgency like Paul has. See, I'll admit for myself, when it comes to other people, a lot of times I view people based on kind of how they benefit me. I view them based on how they treat me or they interact with me. That's my perspective on them. So maybe, maybe it's the neighbor that's kind of annoying and I wouldn't mind it if they moved. Or maybe it's the family member that they just always bring drama to the family gathering. And it's like when they walk in the room, it's like a dark cloud walks in with them. You know, and that's that's usually our perspective on other people. But that's not all that's going on. What's going on is God is being patient. God is delaying something from happening because he doesn't want him to experience that. 
And so actually, if we have God's perspective, we'll realize, hey, this, this is a window in time that this person might have been given where I can go and I can share something that'll change their entire eternity. So when it comes to sharing, if we're going to actually act on this opportunity for what it is, we start by going to God and saying, God, help me to see this person and see this situation the way you do. Paul did. That's how Paul was motivated to go and share with such urgency. So we start with prayer, going to God, asking him for his perspective. The next thing that we do is we need to pray for opportunities. It's actually what Paul requests in this passage that they pray for when he says, pray that a door may be open for our message. He's, he's praying for opportunities. And if you think about it, he's actually praying for a specific opportunity to happen. See, the passage says that Paul is in chains. That means he's in prison. He's chained to a wall in a Roman prison cell. The only way Paul's going to be able to share with somebody who Jesus is, is if somebody opens the door and walks into the room. That's the only way. Paul's identified, okay, if I'm going to actually tell somebody about Jesus, the specific thing that's going to have to happen is somebody's going to have to open a door and walk into the room. So what does he ask other people to pray for? He asks them to do that, to pray that somebody would open the door and walk into the room. For us, we're obviously not in prison. We're not chained to a wall. We're free. That means we have a lot more opportunities than Paul had. But are we paying attention to the opportunities that are around us? Are we actually praying, God, would you give me a chance when I have that opportunity? Are we asking him to help us be aware of the opportunities that surround us in everyday life? We're, we have a ton of them. But are we asking God for this? Are we, are we like Paul thinking specifically, what's it going to take for me to share? When I was um, working in business before I came to work here at the church, I, God really put it on my heart to share with some of the people that I worked with. But I knew that kind of while we were on the clock, that wasn't the appropriate time to share because my boss wasn't paying me to tell everybody about Jesus. He was paying me to put in a day of productive work. And so I started praying about, God, help me think through, when are these opportunities? When are these windows? And lunch was one that I identified. Nobody really wanted to stay at the company for lunch, and so they would go out to lunch at different places. So that was an opportunity for me to see if people wanted to go to lunch. And then, you know, the conversation, I could get to know them. Maybe something of faith will come up. Maybe I can steer the conversation. So I started asking God, God, give me these opportunities. Let me go to lunch with people. And then while at lunch, help this just to kind of work its way into the conversation. Help me to bring this up. I realized for me in that setting, that was the door I was praying for. I thought through specifically, this is what would need to happen if I'm going to share with somebody. I've got a friend right now. He works at Downtown Disney. He was telling me with um, where he works in Downtown Disney, the employees have to park a little ways away. He said it's about a 10-minute walk from where they park to where they work in downtown Disney. So what he does is, he was telling me this, he said he'll get there early for his shift, and then he'll wait in the parking lot, because they all start at about the same time. He'll wait in the parking lot for a coworker to come, and then he'll walk with the coworker to their work. It's about a 10-minute opportunity, a, an open door that he's praying for. Same thing when he gets off. Instead of just getting off, clocking out, hustling to his car and going home, again, they've all got to make the same walk. They all get off about the same time. So he recognizes this is that chance that I have. So for us in our lives, where are those opportunities that we might have if we're going to tell somebody about Jesus? What are, the, what are the windows that we're praying for? What are the open doors that we're asking God to provide? One that we actually all have that I want to point out to you guys has to do with the big day barbecue that we've got coming up in two weeks. We've got these little invites on the doors on your, 
uh, next to the doors on your way out. And what the big day is, if you've, if you've been, Joanna talked about it a little bit, it's, it's a ton of fun. The neighbors that I've brought in the past, they've always thanked me for inviting them just because everybody has a ton of fun. It's great food. People love to eat. It's all different kinds of food. There's activities for the kids. There's stuff for the adults to do. There's these door prizes that those alone are worth coming to try to win. I mean, it is a, it is a great, really fun activity. People like coming to stuff like that. One of the things that we've done that you'll notice is we've actually moved the start time to 1 p.m., right after third service. And the reason we've done that is so people, when they're inviting people to the big day, it's not just a big day invitation, but it's also a, hey, do you want to come to service with me? And then right after service, we're going to have this barbecue and you can hang out for a while. So again, it's an, it's an opportunity to invite someone to church and then hang out for the rest of the afternoon or however long they want to have some great food and just have fun with the whole family. And then hopefully what will happen, what we're praying for, is that then there will be follow-up conversations with the people that come and with the people that we invite and bring. We'll be able to go and ask them, hey, what did you think? You know, what was that experience like? And then maybe that'll lead to an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. This, this is an open door. We're, again, we're not in jail like Paul. We're not limited to just one thing. We can actually go and help create opportunities. But are we paying attention to, okay, here's the opportunities in my life, in my week, in my day, in my schedule, with everything I've got going on? Here are the specific opportunities, and here's where I'm asking God to open a door so I could tell somebody about Jesus. We got to be paying attention if we're going to act on the unique opportunity that God's been given us. So we need to pray for these. Another thing that we need to do is we need to pray for words. This, to me, of everything that Paul asks people to pray for, this is one of the most fascinating to me. Think about who is asking people to pray for words. The Apostle Paul, the guy who he wrote about one-fourth of the New Testament. Everything that's written in the New Testament, he wrote down about 25% of it. Here's a guy who, when it comes to stuff to say about God and faith and Jesus Christ, he's not lacking for words. I mean, he's got more words than any of us. And still, his request is, pray that words would be given to me. That's such a fascinating request to me. And the reason he's praying for words is actually because of fear. See, what fear will do, if we allow it, Fear will silence us. It'll keep us from opening our mouth and sharing with other people. And it's something that Paul experienced numerous times when he was sharing his faith. He says this at another point, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. So again, just think about the, the situation that Paul was in when he says this. I mean, he's, he's in the city of Corinth telling them about Jesus. As far as we can tell, he had probably been a Christian for about 18 years. This was his second missionary journey by the time he gets to Corinth. He had already started other churches. Numerous people had become followers of Jesus through his personal testimony. I mean, Paul was a, he was an old pro, so to speak. He was a veteran. He knew what he was doing. He had been around the block and knew how this whole thing worked. And yet he says, when I walked into the city to tell you about Jesus, it was with, in weakness with great fear and trembling. My armpits were sweating. My knees were clapping together because I could barely stand on my feet. I was freaking out when I came and told you this. I think the reality is, is whenever it comes to sharing our faith, to actually telling somebody, here's who Jesus Christ is, I think there's always going to be an element of fear. And so what we need to do is we need to ask God, God, help me to choose to push through the fear. Give me the words to rely on you and not be silenced by this fear. 
But part of that's going to require us to think through what are the fears that we face. So for me in sharing my faith, one of the fears that I have is um, how this will impact the relationship, the friendship. So I've got some friends right now who I actually really enjoy hanging out with them. I, I like spending time with them. They're not Christians. They know that I'm a pastor, and they're still not afraid of hanging out with me, which I think is a big positive. So we hang out, but there's this kind of this fear sometimes of, well, Elliot, if you actually get the opportunity and tell them who Jesus is, well, then they probably won't want to hang out with you anymore. That's a fear that will creep into my head. I enjoy hanging out with them, so I don't want something to mess that up. But if I allow that fear to keep me silent on the topic of Jesus, then I'm missing out on the unique opportunity to share with them something that could impact their eternity. So I've got to pray, God, God, give me the words. I'm relying on you to give me the words to push through this fear and to not be silenced, but to actually tell them. What are the fears for you? Is it the fear of the unknown, just like not knowing what could happen if you bring it up in a conversation? Will they make fun of me? Will they think that I'm narrow-minded because I'm talking about this guy Jesus and saying he's the only way to be made right with God? Will they ask me a question that I don't know how to answer? Will it get awkward if I tell them? I mean, what are those fears? Think through those fears and actually start to pray, God, this is a fear I have in this situation. I pray that you would help me to choose to push through this fear. I would rely on you for the words. I would take action, and I would not be silenced by this. Because if we let fear us, it'll keep. If we let fear keep us silent, we'll miss out, and we won't share with people. The final thing to pray for is to pray that you present it clearly. This again is something that Paul says. He says that he may proclaim it clearly. Now, this again, similar to words. This one's interesting to me, because if you look at the life of Paul and you read about all that he did, you'll find that. Out of everybody that made presentations of who Jesus is, he gave one of the most creative presentations ever in Acts 17. And some of the arguments that he gives for faith are some of the clearest and easiest to understand, where he just says, hey, this is, this is the issue you're struggling with, and here's how Jesus can, can help in that situation. Here's how Jesus can respond. Here's why you should put your faith in him. I mean, he is one of the best that there is. And still, Paul is asking these people to pray that he would present it clearly. So why would this guy who's got all this creativity and this track record of giving great examples that people can understand of how to, how to follow God, why is he praying for clarity? Well, I think the reason is, and it's a reason that we all experience, and that is the duh, that's what I call it, the duh effect is real. Now, what the duh effect is, is when you have an opportunity to say something about God, but the only words out of your mouth, the only sound is, duh. You guys know what I'm talking about? Somebody asks you, well, you know, what did you guys talk about in church today? Duh. Yeah, see, somebody else. Yeah, so we've all experienced this. I, as a pastor, I experienced this. And then even if we do finally start to make, you know, intelligible sounds, then we find ourselves asking the question, what am I saying? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, just, you know, my wife and I had an opportunity recently, and we were talking with somebody, and afterwards, when the individual left, I turned to my wife, and I was like, I don't even know what I said. I I just, the word, I was listening to what I was saying, I was like, this doesn't make sense. This does not make sense. I think that that's a common occurrence if you've gone to share your faith, and I think Paul experienced it too, and that's why he's saying, you know, pray that I would be able to present it clearly, with clarity. That's something that we need to ask for too. Now, when it comes to presenting it clearly, there's a few things that really help with this. One is having a plan. Planning beforehand, what am I going to say? 
If you just kind of go into it and you're foggy about it, then chances are they're going to be foggy about it. But if you kind of have a plan going into it, that could greatly help you. So one thing I'd recommend everybody do, just take a few minutes and sit down and come up with some descriptions of you before you entered into a relationship with Jesus, and then what are the adjectives that describe you after that? Just on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle at the top, before and after, and then write down the adjectives, and then come up with a quick, I mean, it could be 30 seconds. It doesn't need to be this long, exhaustive, 30-minute presentation. It could be really quick. So, for example, this would be mine. If, if I had a quick opportunity to just tell somebody my before and after, it would just be, you know, before I really got serious about God, I was really selfish and arrogant. And when it came to my relationships with people, I was just pushing people away and burning bridges. And when I thought about the future and looked at everything going on in the world, I was just really pessimistic and cynical about what was going to happen. But then when I got serious about God, what I noticed is I learned how to love people. My relationships got better. And when I think about the future, even with everything with politics and everything going on in the world, I'm actually really hopeful about the future and excited about what God might do. That's what he's done for me. Quick, 30 seconds. Any of you could do that. It's, it's, not, it's not rocket science to just have this quick before and after. Then, you know, you're in the, in the lunchroom with somebody at work, and they're, you know, talking about something, and then it comes up, oh, those Christians, man, they'll just believe anything. I mean, that's just a fairy tale. Well, you know what? This is what it's done for me. Boom, real quick. Quick presentation. It's clear, easy to understand. Another thing I would recommend, help with the clarity. We, we actually have these um, back by the exits when you leave, but it's a little pamphlet. It's called Two Ways to Live. It's actually an app on your phone, too. And that, the guy on the app who talks, it's in uh, an Australian accent. So I know, like, the youth is in with us today. So if you're trying to share with your friends, everybody loves an Australian accent. So, like, that might be a really, your friends might just be interested because it's in this Aussie accent. But you can get this, and what this is, I've, I've used this before. What it is, is it just starts at the very beginning of the Bible. This is who God is. This is who he created us to be. This is the mess that we've made. This is God's solution to the mess that we've made. And then this is the choice that we have. It just walks through that. It gives verses. It gives explanations. got even little diagrams to help us understand. Incredibly helpful. So in opportunities where I've got a little more time to share with somebody, instead of just, hey, here's my 30-second, you know, maybe they're really asking some questions. I'll say, hey, can, can I just walk through this with you? And instead of me depending on my memory, what I'm doing is I'm using something like this to just present it clearly. You want to read the verse here? You know, read the verse. What do you think that means? What do you think he's saying there? And then we talk about it a little bit, and then we just go to the next page. Really simple. It, it doesn't have to be complex. But we need to realize that the duh effect is real. The deer in the headlights, I don't know what to say. That's real. It's a common experience. So we got to have a plan. Now, I will, I will kind of say this. If, if you have a duh moment, or if you've had one in the past, I would say don't beat yourself up for it. We've all had them, but the reason you don't beat yourself up for this is similar to why we're going to God and we're praying for these opportunities, and we're praying that God would give us words, and we're praying God would give us his perspective. We're relying on him. We don't do the saving. We're not the ones that come up with this creative presentation that's so captivating and appealing that someone's like, I'm just compelled to cross the line in faith. That's not what we do. We're the messengers. We need to present it clearly so that they can understand, but ultimately... It's between the Holy Spirit softening their heart and them choosing if they're going to respond. That's what it comes down to. So if you have a dumb moment, we've all had them, don't beat yourself up. But you still need to come up with a plan. You need to figure out, okay, next time, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this differently? I want to read this verse in Acts again. And I actually want to put it over the map. 
of where we live. I want you to think about where you live. I'm going to read this verse. This is what it says. It says, From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So where, is, where do you live on this map? Who are the people that God's put around you? The, the family members, the neighbors, the coworkers. Maybe it's a business that you frequent and you're getting to know other customers or maybe it's the employees there. Who are the people that God has strategically placed you around so you can take this unique opportunity and share with them a message that could change their reality? Who are those people? And, and start praying, God, God, give me your perspective on this situation. Help me to, to view this person and view this period of time the way that you do. God, help me just to be aware of the opportunities that are around me so that I can even act. And then, Father, help me push through this fear that I'm really struggling with. Help me choose to just open my mouth and start talking. And then I pray that it would make sense. Help this plan that I have to present it clearly. Help this to really make sense in this person's life. God strategically placed us. It's really on us if we're going to act and take advantage of this unique opportunity. I've got a couple next steps this morning as we wrap up. The first one actually um, is just it's simple. Just start praying for opportunities. Just like we talked about in the message. Where in your life, if you were going to tell somebody about Jesus, what would that look like? Where would that be? In your day-to-day interactions with other people, what are those opportunities that God has given you or that he might give you? Start praying about that. Another one that I would encourage you to do to kind of put this into practice is um, we've got these invite cards, like I said. They're on the doors as you exit, so you can grab some this morning. They've got the Life Hack series on there, and then they've also got the Big Day Barbecue invite. So it's an invite to do. If, if they just want to come to the barbecue, great, come to the barbecue. But the Life Hack series, actually, the whole point is, you know, a, a life hack is how to do things smarter, not harder. So we're looking at what does God say about making life easier and not more difficult, so that's a topic that I think most people would find appealing. So invite them. Say, hey, you want to come to the service with me? And then afterwards, we'll hang out and we'll have this barbecue. So I'd encourage you, grab these cards and invite some people. Take advantage of that opportunity. View it for what it is. If you'll join me, we'll pray. And then uh, the band will come up for our last song. And I've got a few more um, things to say. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to get up here this morning and share this. Um, But more than just this, I thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus Christ to be the answer to our problem, to be the solution, the one who reattaches us to you, the one who we can choose in order to enter back into a relationship with you. I thank you, God, for the people who shared him with us, who told us, who took the risk, pushed through the fear to tell us about Jesus so that we could come to know you. God, I then pray for us that we would continue that that we would see what surrounds us for what it is, see the people for who they really are according to you. We would recognize when these chances have been given and when they are, God, I pray that we would not be silent, but that we would speak up. We would tell people clearly in a manner that they could understand who you are. And Father, then they could come and experience the same thing that we experience. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of this and I pray that we would act on this. In Jesus' name, amen.